0: And the David Bowie was again another <laughs> a stylist who was, was actually was working with him right until he died. Um, uh, he called and asked if I'd make something for Madison Square Garden, which was for his birthday concert, which was a real pleasure.
1: Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Brunam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Today's guest is Tim Perkins, who studied fashion and textiles in Southport in the mid-80s. He moved to London in 1989 and it was there that Tim began making clothes for pop promos and commercials, assisting on fashion photo shoots and making costumes for the likes of Razia, Paul McCartney, Dead or Alive and David Bowie amongst others. Subsequently, Tim set up a studio in North London in the late 90s and from there made costumes for Boy George's musical Taboo and went on to work for his fashion line in New York. Thereafter, Tim took a break from the freelance world and worked for Vivian Westwood for four years, after which he decided to focus exclusively on costume, which led to him assisting leather artisans Whitaker and Malem on the Wachowski film Jupiter Ascending. Subsequently, Tim has had a career in film, cutting for films such as Aladdin, Nutcracker and The King's Man. Hi Tim!
0: Hi, and I'm how are
1: you? I'm good, how are you?
0: I'm good, thank you, relaxed.
1: <laughs> that's good, that's good. Thank you for coming on the podcast. That's Um, a pleasure. So you've had a really interesting and varied career and I wanted um, to sort of start by asking you, you um, studied fashion and textiles at university and then you moved to London and you began working in the sort of music and then the fashion side of things. What kind of things were you doing?
0: Well, at first I didn't actually end up in university, I just went to college College. Um, and I left uh, and started just making clothes as a business and selling to clothes shops in Liverpool and Manchester, just a very small, on a small scale, a cottage industry. Um, and then, yeah, moved to London, and I didn't really have a ultimate goal other than I just there were certain people I wanted to work with and meet, and I knew London was going to offer more opportunity than uh, where I was in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just... Went out a lot and met people, met all the people I wanted to. It was a very um, long winded way of um, networking, but it was kind of late 80s, early 90s, and that's what I knew. Um, so I, I just met people who made music, um, met people who created style pop videos, which was obviously a big thing in the early 90s, and also met a producer who. Um, organized shoots for Vanity Fair magazine amongst an American Vogue in London and I would you know get calls from her to kind of do jobs so it was a really and there wasn't really a career plan but it was all fashion related at the time.
1: But you say it was it wasn't a career plan but I guess it you sort of there was it is a running theme though through all the things it was a a creative career I guess that in a way you would have aspired to.
0: True yeah and there were people that I wanted to work with and I actually ended up working with all of them pretty much so Uh, yes there was obviously a Torian determination (laughs) going on throughout it. It's
1: a diligent it was diligence though I have to say to go out and uh,
0: these
1: people and and then actually achieving it as well I think that's pretty cool.
0: Well, it's funny, I, I seem to remember London being quite small, it was, you know, in, in terms of nightclubs and bars and things, it was all, everyone, you kind of bumped into everyone, all the same people went to different club nights and you could kind of you just it felt very natural it felt yeah. very organic um yeah, but sure. it was really through word of mouth i wasn't really marketing myself
1: yeah i was going to say i didn't think you went out with the intention of being like i'm going to make for this person
0: <laughs> well i used to make a lot of my own clothes and i still sometimes do but um so that would always be a talking point if someone liked mm-hmm. what you were wearing you'd say oh i can make it for you or um or i can make whatever you want so It was a form of advertising, I suppose. (laughs) I I always wonder how much easier it would have been to have a kind of clear destination, for instance, working in costume and headed straight for that. But to be honest, I don't think in the early 90s I would have had the discipline to have um, gone straight into film.
1: Yeah. And also, I think probably how you work now and the, your, the style or the skills that you've acquired, you wouldn't necessarily have acquired them if you hadn't done those things in the past. They would have all they all inform the way you work and create now. So I think it's completely.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, true. Very much so. Um, and for instance, in the past, when someone would ask me to make something, I would give a price. And I would cut the pattern, um, fit it, to buy the fabric myself, make the whole thing. And it was—I was kind of a one-man show. And obviously, when you give a price, you don't—you can't really quote for people changing their mind or <laughs> uh, things are not working out how they want. So, in a way, when I'm now in film, when people change their mind, I don't take it at all personally. I'm quite happy to change because I think, well, you know, I'm on the clock. <laughs> <so."> <laughs> you can change it as much as you want i don't um i don't find it disheartening
1: well i guess also with uh creative in- especially the sort of um i'm not sure how it is in the same the music world as well but in like in the costume world for like films and tvs and such th- there is a lot of stuff that isn't used or there is a lot of change minding i think you can't necessarily get attached you can't take it too personally like you're saying you can't no, really get attached not at all. to things you make so i think that's probably a really great thing that you've come to um learn
0: yeah, yeah, I think you get really resilient, and I think it's not, yeah, it's normally not a reflection on your skills. It's just scripts change, actors change, the color of the scenery changes. <laughs> so, you know, you have to, it can all end up on the cutting room floor or just being ditched in favor of something else. There's no point sometimes if something isn't working.
1: Persisting with um, it, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly
1: um you worked on boy george's costume i was like f- fangirling i guess is what you would say <laughs> but when you sent me your notes i was reading who you've worked for and what you've done i was just like oh my mm. god this is amazing
0: because i've been you... around for so long <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm gonna name drop for you because i feel like you probably won't do it so <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what partly david bowie erasure dead or alive thing, and boy george but okay so i have to admit here dead or alive and erasure i hadn't heard of them so then i had to youtube but then i realized that i had heard their music so of
0: course yeah well i actually met pete burns from dead or alive in liverpool before i moved to london but yeah I, he has had sadly he's no longer with us a very unique um, style uh, so it was a real pleasure to make stuff for him. George, uh, really, I, I knew from out and about, but it was only when Taboo, the musical, which was his autobiographical musical, um, opened off the West End, that I started to kind of have regular contact with him and make. I was making costumes for that. Um, Erasure was a colleague of mine, Dean Bright, who's a designer who's always worked with them. He kind of called me up and asked, me to help out with making costumes for them. And the David Bowie was again another <laughs> a stylist who was who actually was working with him right until he died. Um, uh, he called and asked if I'd make something for Madison Square Gardens, which was for his birthday. Concert, which was a real pleasure. Sadly, I didn't get to meet him, but you know, I made the thing and sent it away. Yeah,
1: still pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, that was a good. There's kind of when you write things down, you realize, oh God, okay, I've done a bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) More than a bit. How does it work in that kind of creative world? Do they give you a sort of brief of what they want and then do you go ahead and then start making it? Um, How does it work exactly?
0: It depends, really. Normally, they have an idea of what they want. With Boy George, obviously, taboo the musical, the, 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 there were photographs of what the people were wearing, and it was based in the New Romantic period and punk. Um, so there was that photographic evidence of all those things. So it was really replicating existing garments from uh, photographs. With David Bowie, I think we just... He liked a lot of McQueen. He kind of ripped up frock coats. So it was a bit like that, you were given guidelines, really, but you were pretty free.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool.
0: It was, <laughs> but it was also quite unnerving because working on your own in a workshop, you don't really have anyone to bounce ideas off, so you're kind of judging yourself quite harshly. You're looking at something on the stand thinking, this is not what they want, or is this colour right? And, you know, and normally it wasn't. It was just complete paranoia and being in your head. But it's that's what I like about film. Is it's a lot more collaborative. And there's always some to sort of bounce an idea off or ask whether they, you know, you're going in the right direction.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, and you, after working on the Boy George musical, you went on and then did worked on his fashion line in New York. Um, that sounds pretty amazing. How well. well,
0: yeah, it was it was bizarre. Well, he, um, the musical Taboo went to Broadway after it was uh, finished in London. I didn't actually. I wasn't based in New York then. But George was, and because the costumes were it was a huge board, Broadway production, he didn't have much involvement in the costumes, so he had a lot of free time, and he started decorating um, hoodies and just sort of casual streetwear with his prints and um, decorating things. It was very punk, actually, which is where he he evolved. And, yeah, it, it ended up he would get me and this guy, Mike Nichols, who he's worked with before, uh to make things in London which we would then ship to New York which he would decorate and it ended up culminating in a a few fashion shows we did in New York but it was kind of crazy it was really you know we'd kind of go over and stay with him in his apartment and be up all night printing fabrics and decorating things with glitter it was it was fun and a little bit stressful, but it was, it, oh. you know, it was a great experience.
1: <laughs> um, George is very
0: I... spontaneous, which is is actually really encouraging. He's really, you know, if, if he just thought something was a mistake, he would completely love it. He oh, really? Um, yeah, he would just go with it. Um, oh, that's refreshing. Yeah, it was inspiring. It's good
1: that is pretty cool um how so this whole time you would have been working as a freelancer in your studio Mm -hmm. like you said how has that how was that initially because obviously you mentioned it was I wouldn't use the word lonely but obviously you are alone you can't bounce necessarily the ideas off someone then and there how has that been and how has that then informed how you've worked in um a studio set up with multiple other people say on a film
0: um well yeah it was I found because you I think the nature of what you do if you're a craftsperson you always second guess what you're doing and um it was it was it's strange to do that in isolation especially when you're doing everything from you know shopping for the fabric and fittings and pattern cutting and making i've much prefer the studio environment where you have a team that you work with and you're kind of if you're having a. If you're not sure about something, you can just run it by someone else. And re- really, I think, you know, in your head, you just need to sometimes articulate it to someone else. And in a way it's kind of like sewing therapy. <laughs> yeah. I
1: like understand that. You just want someone to reassure you and say, you know, you're fine. It's fine. It works. And
0: it. even, yeah, even if you're saying it, you're actually, why am I even asking this? Of course <laughs> fine. it's fine. Yeah. Um, it's normally a technical thing. It's normally technical things, which is interestingly not always a concern for a designer a costume designer you know they're much more they want it to look right but they're not specifically you know they might say oh that needs to be smoothed out or we need to move that dart but actually they're much more concerned with how it looks as a completed garment and I think what's interesting in film is you have different stages and the final stage normally for a costume you've made is it goes into the breakdown department so you could spend all your time getting a garment made you know beautifully and the hem perfectly pressed and and then break down <laughs> come, come to it with a cheese grater and paint to make it look like a real like real clothes which is the bright, <laughs> which is what how it should be and that, that was a real um, eye opener for me and it made me realize it's not always about making a pristine garment that looks perfect on the stand it has to be uh, look like someone's put it on they've chosen yeah. to put it on
1: I agree with you there. though. it has to be part of a, a bigger vision well it's a weird guess, thing yeah
0: it? it's it's a different discipline to fashion for instance where you your kind of ultimate goal is to have something going down a catwalk or actually your ultimate goal is to have something on a hanger to be sold but um it's it's almost a bit characterless. It's a, on a model. It should be anonymous and it should look perfect. And it's it's a different destination with costume. You don't want it to look like it's wearing the actor. No.
1: That's... It should
0: look like the character has taken it out of a wardrobe. But even in, you know, something like a Disney, it should still integrate into the whole situation and shouldn't just be a, you know, they shouldn't be modelling it. <laughs>
1: I guess it shouldn't look like a conscious decision, I think, which is the idea of costume, right? I guess. It shouldn't yeah. look it look if you notice it, you've done it wrong, I guess, is what other people have said.
0: yes yeah true it's true yeah if it if if it look if they're too aware of the costume um it's not working I think it can still look beautiful but it 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 doesn't it's not always about making it look pristine and as it does on the stand
1: it is about the storytelling process I guess which is not necessarily the same as fashion
0: no no it's character um
1: you did mention fashion and you worked um in the fashion world for well you worked for Vivian Westwood for four years didn't you
0: Yeah, yeah, that was a very, that was great, actually, it was a great experience. But it was um, in, i worked in the couture store, um, which is in Mayfair, um, where they, they there were kind of a selection of samples, which you would do fittings on clients with then liaised with the studio, they would make something to measure, you would fit it onto the client, and then it was it was great, actually. It was a really good um, a good learning curve, and it was also a really good uh, service. <laughs> that was what I was looking for. It's a really good service. Um, you know, they because normally with, especially with wedding dresses and things, you can kind of go into these, I found out from clients that uh, you would um, go in, and they pretty much, order a standard size for you and just shorn it whereas Westwood is just by the nature of the way they cut um it would be made to measure um and you could choose your fabric and it, it was a very it was a great service what and dealing that? with some really big personalities which was oh, funny I was
1: gonna ask you about your stories but I'm not sure if you want to reveal <laughs> no I mean
0: really to be honest I, I didn't have so much to do with the studio there. it was but it was a fun, it was a really fun experience. And Vivian and Andreas, her husband, are kind of amazing powerhouses, you know.
1: Yeah. You were saying you were doing fittings. What does that actually involve? Because I guess some people listening may not know.
0: What, uh, uh, Vivian Westwood all yeah. now? Um, well, it was kind of the same, actually. It, um, you would have... An existing garment a sample um you try a load of things on a client and you'd see how the, you could you could see when someone tried something on and they were really at home in it then you would sort of take a set of measurements from them the studio would provide you with a calico twirl a few weeks later you would fit that onto them and then it, it yeah it was just a back and forth until the final thing was made so i mean we had a lot of you know amazing people come in opera singers Shirley Bassey, which was a big <gasps> deal for me <laughs> um, yeah and uh, yeah it was it was very interesting and again you know it paved the way um, perfectly to do fittings in film to um, have that because a fitting is a very contentious situation you know you, you have to be very you have to tread very carefully I yeah. Think
1: you now currently work in the film world as a costume cutter um mm-hmm. what does that role involve exactly what is costume,
0: it's um you work with the designer to make what they want and it should end up on the actor's back looking exactly how the designer intended so um you'll start off the design will have a obviously an idea of what they want um sometimes a drawing sometimes a photograph sometimes a existing garment a a rented costume or or whatever they'll they'll kind of come to you with that and um your job is to sort of translate that into a finished garment
1: Um, and then you start off with so you put it you put it onto paper i guess as well don't you well
0: yeah i to be i think normally a I try to get something on a stand as quickly as possible <clears throat> just because I think it's easier to communicate something when it's in three dimensions. So I might just pin um, calico onto a stand into the shape that they've suggested and then get the designers to look at it and draw on it or, you know, cut cut it away, decide what, if that's what they want to go for. From that, I'll then take a pattern and work into the fabric. I have a small team that I work with who will uh, put it together, which is really nice. But I've done so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How has being in the fashion, music, costume world compared to them being in the film, the screen world, screen costume world?
0: It's all similar, but I think film, there's a lot more... Well, there's a lot more money, frankly, (laughs) so (laughs) you can kind of um, explore different things and you have the luxury of trying things. You know, you can actually cut right into the fabric and sometimes just to try something out and see if it works. Um, And there is normally you can employ people to come in and help when the the deadlines are getting really tight, which is nice.
1: So you went from sort of working on your own? in your hmm. own studio. And then uh, the majority of some of you would have collaborations, I imagine, but um, usually you are f- freelancing. How do you transition from the fashion to the film world? So my first job was
0: working, um, I was called by Padin Kier, Whittaker Malam, who I knew from the 90s, just from socialising, they knew I could cut patterns and they were working on Jupiter Ascending for the Wachowskis. Um, so yeah, I helped them out um and then started to work more in the costume prop side of things and it wasn't until i worked on king arthur that the supervisor realized i could cut patterns and make garments from scratch Uh, and from then i got absorbed into the workroom um, and crossed over crossed over (laughs) into soft fabrics (laughs) but i mean you know the structure of Film is that you kind of have like four departments in costume, or five, I suppose. You have your design team, which normally incorporates the well, obviously, a costume designer, assistant designers, buyer, um, and concept artists. Then you have the workrooms, which are more fabric based garments, traditional dressmaking and tailoring. And then costume props, obviously, where you you work, um, which is jewellery headdresses and shoes gloves all the kind of extra Random things <laughs> You yeah, well no I think they're all very it's it's interesting and then the breakdown which is the um uh textile
1: Textiles, but, painting
0: yeah. yeah um so yeah it's kind of interesting to kind of go between the two
1: and how actually what inspires you in that in that realm then if someone gives if a designer gives you a design mm-hmm. um or they might not they might even just give you a reference image or like you said they may give you a an existing comment which they want sort of chopped and changed how what inspires you which where do you get that sort of creative energy from as it were
0: well normally the design is pretty <laughs> instrumental in it really I think <laughs> you know really you're working as their hands you kind of have to get try and understand what it is they want and achieve it um which is why I like the three dimension you know getting something on the stand because I think it's just faster and it's you know easier f- for them to change the direction or ch- to see it and just say well, that's not it, yeah, yeah that if it's there in front of them uh, it doesn't they then have to you normally would get it to it into fabric before you would show it anyone else so
1: I guess that a lot of that energy, like you said, comes from the designer. So if they're really enthusiastic about it and quite passionate about it, which I imagine most of them are because they want to realise their vision, then hmm. that kind of rubs off on you. I think that generally that feeling, when some, like with anything, I guess, if someone's really excited and passionate and really, really like creative, and that rubs off on generally the work, like people are working for them, I think. And they oh, become yeah. inspired by that energy
0: yeah I mean the designers are always really passionate and and that's really all you could want really. you kind of get um most of them will work all you know they've been normally you kind of come onto a job at the beginning of pre production but the designer's already been researching it for months um sometimes a year depending on how long it takes for a project to get off the ground and so when by the time you arrive, they're so excited to um get things going yeah. really <laughs> eager to um Get, get something tangible that you can yeah it's, it's exciting it's always exciting and then you go for your first fittings and the actor gets excited and it's it's kind of you're constantly getting your um, getting energized by everyone's enthusiasm
1: those um, fittings I guess I'm just going to go back to the fittings for a second because you mm-hmm. did mention that is that they actually I guess I think they're underrated again it's something that people, when you're watching something, you don't necessarily realise again. But they, I guess, allow the actor, as well as the design team and then yourself as well, they allow the actor to kind of realise the character that they're going to be playing as well.
0: Yeah, Um, and I I actually read or heard an interview with an actor recently that um, I'd never thought of. And it's actually, the costumes department is probably one of their first points of contact in a film. So... You know, obviously, they don't kind of go into walk around the sets. They wrote the script and uh, obviously have meetings with the director. But their first appointments are normally with the costume department. And so they it's quite instrumental, I think, in the developing a character to try things on. It's, it's really, things are really exciting and terrifying at the same time Um, I can imagine (laughs) yeah because you know everyone's meeting sometimes the designer hasn't met the actor you're meeting them at the same time you kind of have to assess the situation you don't want to say anything in case you know the relationship between a designer and an actor is very important
1: yeah Um, there's a lot of trust there so
0: yes and you don't want to say the wrong thing you kind of you're there to just kind of oversee the technical side and do what the designer wants you to. Shorten it or lengthen it, let it in or out. But inevitably you have to be polite as well. So you kind of have to talk about the weather <laughs> <laughs> with the actor. And um, luckily Please. if that's just the assistant and the designer and yourself, sometimes you have the director will come in, which I've had before. And, but it's fine. You just have to um, remember what your job is, which is just to achieve the technical side of
1: it aspect of it yeah it's really interesting because i think um it, again like i said it's something that goes unnoticed when watching something because i think probably most of us pre being in this world or even if you're not in the world you kind of watch something and you just assume a costume ends up on a on a on, a, on, a, on an actor or an actress which is that, how it and, should be really which is how it should be um but there is x there's so much work that goes into it before like the back like the fittings and there's not just one fitting there could be multiple fittings there's you know alterations that are made to costumes there's so many different aspects of it which we don't appreciate when we watch something so i think it's interesting to get an insight into that like again i, I mentioned fittings and people would be like why are you talking about fittings but it's a really important post part of the process The yeah, process yeah. as well
0: and also i mean it's kind of interesting um you kind of fit an actor for months sometimes um Oh, over the course of a few months in a you know studio fitting room with electric lights and you, you kind of never really I mean you get everything right obviously as well as you can uh, and then you actually see it in the situation of the film where it's lit and it's they have hair and makeup and there's a whole environment around them and you're kind of oh okay i kind of get it it now (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. because you know you can never no matter how well prepared a fitting room is it's never as it's not it's not an environment it's just a it's a stage to get towards the final result which is it um existing in a film
1: yeah that's true
0: but then you have stunt people and doubles as well coming in um you know you very rarely make one costume you normally most actors would have a picture double so you have to make a double or triples of it and if stunt you know if it's a heavy stunt sequence i think on um kingsman we made about 15 of one of the leather coats oh, wow. just because it's a big involved sequence with um a lot of different stunts especially i think with stunt heavy films it's your requirements are very different you know it's all about servicing the action sequences and making sure that the actor can you know do what they have to. well i think we had jackets were someone for riding motorbikes the same jacket might be with longer sleeves for hanging from a helicopter you know you kind of had to take all that into consideration what what it had to do
1: kind of leading on from that actually what's been your most um creatively challenging but i mean that in a positive way um (laughs) kind of task as it were or undertaking where you've kind of been given something you've been like how will this happen and then (laughs) It always comes to fruition, but the end result has been the thing that you've been the most proud of.
0: I think every job, I mean, I, I'm never daunted by te- a technical challenge. I kind of like it. Um, it's normally time is the, the thing that worries me if somebody wants something. I think Nutcracker, for instance, we had six weeks prep time before it started filming, which I can't believe. It's a
1: costume-heavy I mean, job as well. It's-
0: well, we had, you know, it, it was an amazing Uh, supervisor and designer who were not daunted by it who'd done enough work to know well this you know this is how it's going to work and obviously all the costumes aren't needed on the first day but it was um still I remember being a little unnerved by that but after that I thought well you know what it happened and it always does happen Mm -hmm. you don't always know how (laughs) um but you, you the best way is to just rather than worry about it just get on with it and um it happens Luckily, as I said, I think from being in a workshop on my own and being stressed out to being in a big team and stressed out is a lot better. (laughs) You feel you've got a support network. Yeah,
1: that's very true actually. It's really nice. I think um, having a, a, a great team around you makes a massive difference with any job, I guess. But I think more so in a creative world, because like you said, you need to bounce off ideas or just having someone to sort of say, actually that's all right you know the kind of little nuances of costume making. yeah I guess.
0: yeah exactly just um helping make decisions and just yeah if someone take away something and they can um okay I'm gonna deal with that and that means I can focus on the next thing and yeah, yeah. so cool. yeah uh, most things are, to answer your question I, I've not yeah not been um, daunted, by daunted by things I'm always kind of let's like, have a go I think it's exciting
1: That's good. Oh, that kind of leads nicely onto the next question, which is what has been the highlight of your career? Oh my
0: God. Uh, You've probably had quite a few. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, every every time you get a a costume on an actor's back in front of a camera is a a highlight, really. I think um, there's jobs I've really enjoyed. I think working for, I really enjoy working for Disney. I think because I grew up with, seeing a lot of Disney films and to kind of be involved in making films for a new generation is is um, exciting. I think on Aladdin it was interesting to make costumes that were going to be made into dolls. That was really funny. <laughs>
1: yeah that's true actually I didn't even think of that.
0: Yeah I mean while we were doing the fittings and there would be the mo- I can't remember what the department's called it's not marketing that's it's franchise franchise, franchise, franchise. Yeah. yeah yeah they kind of um were taking away samples of fabric and look you know photographing with garments on stands as we were making them and then the dolls come out and they they were amazing actually they were really detailed the and, and i quite like that it, i was aware on aladdin particularly of how far reaching these costumes are going to be they're going to end up in toy shops around the world um, yeah. And so that was satisfying. Nightcracker was a really great project. It was really, despite the six weeks, um, prep time was really fun to do. I really, seem to remember that being a really joyous kind of experience. Um, I, I think I'm quite good. I I'd never really remember the horrible bits. Of it. <laughs> like, only, I get every job I kind of do. I, it must be a survival instinct. You kind of go away thinking, oh, it was really fun.
1: I think we all must do that because we'll come back don't we so <laughs>
0: yeah and or maybe just the the fun bits outweigh the stress and the stress yeah. is never long lasting i mean really i in a lot of ways with a, with when you have a great designer and supervisor you almost don't have to think too much you're kind of okay they'll let you know when stuff is coming up and so you can kind of focus on your technical job and yeah. working with your team and yeah, they'll sort of anticipate problems. I mean, you can never, the film, just the nature of it is sometimes a bit crazy and schedules can change at the drop of a hat and then you have to reorganise it. But generally, it's reassuring when you have, uh, have a good, good hierarchy.
1: Yes, that's very true. It's really important. Generally, a team, I think, is just generally oh, yeah. a team is massively important.
0: Well, um, it should be fun. It should be, you know, great. Experience. You're there for long enough.
1: I think again, you're you're in each other's face, say in each other's faces, but you you're are. around. You are around each other very sometimes in confined spaces because of the nature of what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, and not
0: the most <laughs> luxurious spaces either. No. Um,
1: but you are constantly around each other, and you're you're gonna ha- you obviously you share the kitchen, like silly things like that. Obviously you share the kitchen and this workspace and stuff. But it is underrated how important communication um, and having a happy team overall having those things is really important and... Yeah,
0: it's like living with people it's, I mean in fact I remember I think I can't remember which job it was. I think life I was doing with um Jenny Bevan and she came in one Monday I think the third week and just said oh it's funny how quickly it feels like home because <laughs> we're all in the kitchen just making coffee it. and yeah I kind of thought that's actually really true it's a bit like carnival life you're kind of life on the road you're of set up this work room in a big empty space for three or four months and then clear it all out and then Go to
1: another one yeah I was actually thinking about this the end of our last job that we did and we were packing up because the last job we did was like nine months on which is really yeah, long that job. was
0: a really long job yeah
1: a really long job we <clears> had really, <throat> really made it home like really made our little department like we'd stuck things on the wall we'd had our anyway we'd we'd really had made it painted
0: it <laughs> still <laughs> a, a water feature
1: <laughs> we had our bird <laughs> <still> <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> Um but other than packing up it was a it felt, I felt a little bit sad. I think sadder than I'd felt packing up on any other job that I'd been off. But it's true that it is. It becomes home so quickly.
0: Yeah, it it does because you're there probably more time than you're, <laughs> than, you're <laughs> than you're actually <laughs> conscious at home. Um, yeah, I, I I can understand that. But it, also, I think it's always good to get to the end of a job and be like, okay, but this is done, um, and start the next one. And normally, hopefully, with the same team because you know that you. you do build up the bond it's weird not seeing even this short um lockdown period is odd to not see you see my team it's um
1: yeah it's really weird you,
0: yeah, kind, you of, kind of feel like you're missing out on their lives
1: <laughs> yeah because it's true you do sort of on a day-to-day basis you you do learn things about each other which i think in another and maybe another office job you wouldn't and i think it's those bonds are so important um to maintain a happy team and also then your creative working i think is even more um successful You're yeah you're like, the design vision is even more successful when you have that i think
0: Perfect. well i think a designer as well picks up on it you know they'd like a you know to walk into a nice atmosphere in a workroom even if they don't you know normally designers are obviously very busy they have to kind of communicate with certain people they can't speak to everyone or as they'd have to go to each head of department yeah. and discuss the, what's needed um but they i think they pick up on an atmosphere in a room and then, you know they want it to be pleasant yeah of course
1: so leading on from the end of the job i guess nicely <laughs> in a weird way we are coming to the end of the podcast now <gasps> this is the time for you to give your viewing recommendations to us
0: okay um, <laughs> okay we'll the, this is really 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 difficult i'm sure everyone says exactly so i number one i did um all about my mother and slash talk to her two films by Pedro Almodovar, which I absolutely love. I think um, he's one of my favourite directors. Um, have you seen either of them?
1: So I've got something to admit. No, I haven't, but I've heard of Almodo- Almodovar, Almodovar. because yeah. of because of our mutual um, friend Lorenzo. Lorenzo <laughs> tells yeah. me about them all the time. Oh no, and you like, yeah, do love. I add them to my list. I, my
0: list. <laughs> now that he's a, a Spanish filmmaker, who started, I believe, in the Oh my god, it might be even late 70s and post Franco Spain. So he made he was quite irreverent, mm-hmm. making films of, sort of drag queens and um about drug addicted nuns. <laughs> and oh. and he deals a lot with he makes a lot of women's um dramas, which sadly is not doesn't oh. happen so much. Um, yeah. um, and he um he his films are always very beautifully art directed, so they'll be. There's a lot of strong colour and um, they're quite emotional dramas, but there's also humour in them. They're just really good films. And those two are particularly, um, I think, yeah, I I saw them when they came out. And uh, um, but yeah, just brilliant films, really dramatic, poignant, funny and look amazing. Really great performances. Um, Yeah, he's he's always I'll always watch his films
1: i'm adding them i've added them to the list already i should say they've been on the list for a while <laughs> <I> <laughs> oh well then, that's up.
0: good to um encourage you to watch that
1: and your second one a second one was
0: oh yes uh sunset boulevard by another writer director billy wilder who um was he lived he was german but um because he was just moved to hollywood in the uh during the Second World War, before the Second World War, and uh, just made—he made some amazing films. Um, but Sunset Boulevard is a particularly interesting one. Have you seen this?
1: Oh no, I'm—I'm re- I'm sorry. Oh I no, know. no, it's, <laughs> I, I,
0: I, it's kind of—it's—it's it's easy to explain it if you haven't seen it. Um, it's a, a film. I think it was made late '50s, and it's uh, about a faded. Hollywood star from the silent era who wants, who thinks her comeback is happening, and a guy who actually hides his car in her villa um, in the garage, who's oh. a screenwriter, and he kind of gets dragged into her world and starts writing a script for a film that she thinks is going to be her big comeback, and oh. it's, it's it's really fabulous. I mean, um, it's kind of goth, got appeals to my gothic side. Her mansion is kind of. She lives alone with her butler, just with all po- you know, posters of her old films and photographs of herself. And uh, it, I think it even has a pipe organ, <laughs> so it's quite kind of oh, wow. haunted. And um, she's a, a little bit deluded. The, yeah, I
1: was gonna
0: say, she's a bit deluded. And what is interesting, I think it's interesting that Billy Wilder directed it because obviously, he, as uh, coming from a different country from Germany to Hollywood, was he could kind of get an outsider's view of how Hollywood treated its. Um, actors and actually Gloria Swanson who plays uh, Norma Desmond the actress in the film was a silent film star so all the pictures in the in her Ah. mansion are actually pictures of her in her silent it's it's really it's an interesting film it's very good
1: again added to the list
0: yeah it's really good I feel like it's
1: it's something that gets referenced a lot both Sunset Boulevard and Billy Wilder both make him and the movie get referenced I feel like I've heard of them but it's just I've never seen them so I should really educate myself in this oh lockdown. you should I'm,
0: it's a great I just... watch I mean Sunset Boulevard is so great and uh, her performance is quite extreme she's quite um I think originally there were a load of actresses who were going to play I think Mae West at one point was going to play ah. Norma Desmond which would have made it a slightly different film but it's it's um you know it's amazing and Billy Wilder I mean he directed um some like it heart and Dublin Indemnity. He did some really great films, The Apartment. So yeah, I love that. <laughs> and um what, the third one, I keep, I'm, I'm conflicted about this. So the third one.
1: You can say both, because I know you've got two.
0: Oh yeah, I do, yes. Um, one was Marlena, which is a 80s, early 80s documentary um, interview with Marlena Dutry, Um, by an actor called Maximilian von Schell, who actually worked with her, I think in a film called judgment at Nuremberg and he um, asked if he could interview her she'd kind of hidden from the spotlight again it's quite Sunset Boulevard actually um and decided she was going to retreat to Paris and she was living in an apartment there and I think at the last minute after agreeing to the interview she said no I'm not going to be in your film (laughs) so Uh he was really screwed and so it's actually an audio interview that he kind of had to make a collage of visuals to um accompanying it in fact Pete Burns showed me this film I think I watched it with him first and it is just it's it's interesting that the necessity of him having to be creative to solve the problem of her not actually wanting to be on camera makes it more intimate it's really good and she's very I mean she's very Tough on herself, and basically just as soon as her looks faded, she's right, right. No, I'm not going to be seen by anyone. I don't want to ruin the image. Yeah, she was just like, no, of course I'm not going to be seen on camera. That's
1: so sad because I mean, she was.
0: Well, it's sad, but it's also very tough. It's like, no, I'm not. The legend is there. It's on the screen, and I'm not going to ruin it by appearing.
1: (laughs) That takes a lot of I don't don't know the word, but it feels really
0: disciplined. Disciplined,
1: but also must have taken a toll on her mental.
0: I think yeah I mean I think the same thing you know acting is a tough job and I think um she had a good good long career and I think um yeah she was it's a very German sort of no that's it efficient I'm not having you know there's enough footage of me and I think she um she did a few world tours as a singer yeah, she was resilient Marlona <laughs> and so it's so an in- a really an interesting film it is really worth a watch the other film I was Juliet of the spirits because I think visually Fellini is one of my favorite directors the Italian director, like Visconti and Pasolini are all amazing but Fellini is more fun he's kind of quite circusy and bright and his films are just visually. It's quite hard to watch actually because you can't read the subtitles <laughs> because there's just oh. too much to look at on the screen. Oh, um, uh, but Juliet of the Spirits is a really good one about a bored housewife. Well, not a bored housewife. I think she's her um, husband's having an affair, and she has visions of her youth and um, befriends a local neighbour who's very free. But it's it's just quite demented film. <laughs> Oh, because it was sponsored by brine Nylon, so the costumes are all really bright um and oh. really it's it's a really it's really worth a watch it's just fun and and sad and interesting even if you aren't um you don't understand italian or you you don't want to read the subtitle you kind of just to look at there's something else Casanova's another great one they just uh, look amazing and great for costume and hair and makeup, and um, art direction. And there's a lot of artists. I don't think he, um, for instance, in Casanova, I think, you know, there's scenes in Venice and the whole, there's a bit where he escapes venice at night on a stormy sea on a boat and it's actually all just bin liners or black polythene oh, with wow. under the... but it, it really works it's quite it's quite theatrical but um sometimes those things make it realer than if you were actually filming in venice see. <laughs> yeah it's, it's strange that sometimes theatrical devices can be more um visceral
1: yeah that's true they I mean, are of a different era as well i guess that kind of ingenuity with how you create things would have been um, really interesting because i guess they wouldn't have had the tools at hand necessarily with cgi and such that we would have now so it's always interesting watching movies when they've been really creative and ingenious about how they've approached yeah um, set building or costume yeah i
0: like it's, it's interesting problem solving because sometimes the, solving a problem is actually you come up with something so much more interesting <laughs> than you yeah um could Have done than if you'd have the real thing, you know. It's um, yeah, I quite like a, the problem solving side of it.
1: Well, you do that on a daily basis with your job, so it makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> I'm a professional problem solver, I, I hope. <laughs> I think that's really what designers want. They don't want someone, um, creating, creating problems, <laughs> they just want you to know you can do it and how they want, and that's it. Ultimately, you're there to do to, yes, yeah, solve something,
1: exactly. And on that note, I am going to say. Thank you very much, Tim. Oh, it's a
0: pleasure. It's really nice to speak to you, Pruna.
1: Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tim. Tune in for the next episode, where I'll be speaking to assistant designer and crowd costume supervisor, Dougie Hawks, on what his job involves.